If you'll join with me, our scripture reading is Romans 5, 1 through 2, and it's on page 942 in our Pew Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Stephanie, for reading the scripture, and um, Joe for the worship. Um, My name's Justin. I'm an elder here at Regen. Today, we're going to go through the purpose of peace. And as you can see, we um, lit a candle. We're kicking off our Advent series. So this is the first in a series. So um, we're switching gears from uh, John to go through peace, multiple uh, messages dealing with peace. Just hearing this word peace now, today, with everything that's happening in the world, it feels kind of sad or kind of ironic um, for me, just from everything I've been hearing, but I do think there's always hope. The story is not over, the story is still being written, but I think there's a lot of tragedy and sadness and frustration I'm seeing in in my friends' Facebook feeds and everything, so I want to just open with some silence. Let's just take 30 seconds in silence to just think about how you're feeling right now as far as peace in the world and pray for Um, everything that's going on, and I'll close us with prayer afterwards. Lord God, we just come before you today um, with gratitude in that we are so blessed with everything we have and that we have this community and that we have eternal hope in you, God, when there's chaos in the world and sadness and tragedy, that you are still God and you are on your throne and you have a plan. You know everyone's hearts who are suffering or in need and those who are causing things, and we just pray for your sovereign hand to just comfort everyone who's um, feeling stressed out and not having peace at this time, and we pray for justice and for us as your church to be lights in the darkness, and we thank you for the peace that we have that we can now study through your word. Amen. All right, so um, today, again, is, uh, the topic is the purpose of peace. Um, So I just wanted some quotes about the word peace. I looked at Wikipedia. It's defined as societal friendship and harmony in the absence of hostility and violence. In a social sense, peace is commonly used to mean a lack of conflict and freedom from fear of violence between individuals or groups. A quote that it says, peace is not absence of conflict, it is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. I'm not sure if that was Ronald Reagan or Nelson Mandela. (laughs) Uh, Google says both. (laughs) So (laughs) 
But we do know the people who wrote the next passage. We're looking at Romans 5.1 today. So we'll look at the book of Romans. That was written by the Apostle Paul in 57 to 58 AD. And the purpose of his writing was to encourage and guide the believers at the church in Rome with basic gospel doctrine. So the book of Romans is a great outline. So the passage that Stephanie read, just real quick, was, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So the word peace in this context is unlike anything we've defined so far. Wikipedia or Reagan and Mandela, that kind of peace they were describing is nothing like the peace in this passage. It's deeper than the absence of conflict or even letting go of anxiety. I think when you ask someone what the purpose of peace is, the first response would probably be just it's like to have relief from anxiety. But it's different in this case. With the premise that we are more than just cosmic dust and random neurons firing, that we have a spirit and that there is a God, the statement that we just read in Romans is of infinite importance. So I just broke it down. The first part is, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. So this is Paul pointing back at the previous chapters in his letter, just referencing that we are being declared righteous. And it looks at the state that you're in. He uses the verb have been justified. It's not saying that we are justified or were justified. It's have been. So it's a status of already being declared justified. It's a fact that has already happened. And then the implication then is the quote, we have peace with God. So again, as I mentioned, this is different. Uh, It's even different than the peace of God. We look at the preposition, there's the word of or the word and with. So the definition or reference for the peace of God, I would say a key verse is Philippians 4, 6 to 7. That's the one that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I use this a lot. This is a verse that if I'm stressed out, I'll bring it before God with thanksgiving, and I do find peace. And this is the relief from anxiety kind of peace. But the other side, The one in this verse is actual peace with God. This is regarding reconciliation because our relationship with God was broken before this kind of peace was brought into the world. So a verse for that is John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is a very important verse as far as defining what reconciliation is and with whom the reconciliation is. Um, It's a relational benefit. It involves not just us feeling good about no anxiety, but it's our relation with God. It's about having no condemnation, and it's an eternal kind of peace. So the last part of the uh, verse that was breaking down is through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
So that part is basically illustrating that Jesus is a pathway through which we have gained access to God's grace. That's another key word that we could probably have many sermons on, the word grace. Casual definition is elegance or refinement of movement or courteous goodwill. Also includes unmerited favor, meaning something that we did not deserve that is given to us. So that's the definition, I think, that applies for um, the word grace in this passage. God's grace is not something you can earn. Key verse for that is Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Uh, another one is Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Seems like people who grew up as Christians heard these verses all the time, and it's very simple. You can hear it and like, yeah, I heard that. But when you think about peace and grace and the gift, it's kind of profound in the way that it's unlike anything that we experience because God is unlike anyone we ever deal with. And our relationship with him is of a huge magnitude. It's the difference between perfection and sinfulness. Yet there is a gift. Um, it's pretty profound. I think there's three phases to any time you look at scripture. There's observation, interpretation, and then application. So we've just gone through some observations and interpretation. But now let's take some time to really dig into the word peace. There's a link for uh, biblestudytools.com forward slash concordance. That's a great way if you really want to dig into scripture and find out like the root words of the words that are used or even like looking at the Greek and Hebrew. It's really helpful. Even like common scriptures that you've grown up with or that don't seem that complicated, you can really deep dive. So that's what we'll do real quick. New Testament was written in Greek. We look at the word peace in this passage, Romans 5, 1 to 2, and it's irene. Its origin is probably from the verb iro, which means to join. I would never think of the word peace being related to the word join, but that's how it is as far as in Greek. So it just means peace, literally or figuratively, by implication, prosperity, oneness, quietness, rest, and being set at one again. I guess then they give five different applications of the word, which involve definition as well. First one is a state of national tranquility, no war, uh, common definition. And the other one is peace between ind individuals, being in harmony of one accord. And then we get into a spiritual application is the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace, salvation. In Christianity, they say it's the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. Uh, last one is the state of righteousness after death. So these are all applicable with definitions. I think the ones we want to focus on are, are the third and fourth, and just how it's about the Messiah's peace, the person that we're um, commemorating through Advent, and the way that leads to salvation, which is a kind of eternal peace that you can have. Spiritually, you'll experience it if Christ is your savior, but even on earth, you can have peace knowing your eternal destiny. So then uh, we look at the Hebrew word because um, Paul was uh, experienced in Hebrew. He was writing to people in Rome using Greek, but the word 
I think even more deeply would be the word shalom. You may have heard that. It's known as a greeting in Hebrew, but there's more context to it. Let's see. Generally means peace and well-being, um, but we'd look at scripture to see the myriad of ways that the word shalom is used and applied and hope that can shape how we are um, defining it. The oldest reference is in Numbers 6, 26. This is the priestly blessing that we usually hear as our benediction. It ends with, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you shalom. It's a kind of blessing, peace as a blessing. Um, another time we see the word shalom as a greeting is in Judges 6.23. The angel tells Gideon, Shalom to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So it's uh, maybe a reassurance when you're afraid. As we talked about, um, Irene being de derived from Iro, Shalom is derived from Shalem, which means whole or complete. So it's pretty interesting how the Greek and Hebrew words both have similar origins related to completeness. It's, that was something I thought was interesting. We have also a Messiah in this picture, and he's declared to be the Prince of Shalom. I think part of the verse that Joe read described that. Uh, we look at Isaiah 9, 5. Uh, Isaiah 53, 5 is the popular verse on the man of sorrows. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our shalom fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. So the chastening for our peace, uh, a.k.a. shalom, fell upon Christ. This is not what I'm thinking as far as the absence of conflict. Something deeper, something that Christ was chastened for. That goes more to the reconciliation version of the word peace. It implies more than physical safety or well-being. It's about our spiritual salvation. In this passage, Paul was not talking about surface-level comfort, such as merely avoiding confrontation. It's a deeper kind of peace, something that's comprehensive and whole. It's the kind of peace between us and God required after a perfect sacrifice beyond what any of us could ever offer. This is, touches upon the gift aspect. It's something that we could not earn, that we could achieve on our own. This is pretty much a big part of the gospel. I think it's important to explain this, and we should all be experts in this concept. I'll share some uh, common questions to this concept later. So then we've covered observation and interpretation, so let's see how this scripture applies. Like, what's the big deal? So what? Now that we've defined this and understand it, well, how does it affect our lives? Basically, I keyed in on the words justification and access. We cannot have a relationship with God without this comprehensive whole peace established by Jesus. So then I ask, do you have a relationship with God? And if so, is there anything hindering your, your growth? I think we have people from all backgrounds, people with different testimonies who, who came to know Christ as children or as adults or still kind of on the fence. So I wanted to just bring that to you as far as, do you have peace? Do you know your spiritual eternal destiny? Or do you even believe we have a spirit? Like these are all foundational questions that I'd be happy to talk to you about. And I'm sure other people here too would want to talk about that if you have these kind of questions. 
Or the other one is for people who are Christians, what's hindering your growth? What would make you a stronger Christian? What would bring you closer to God and make his spirit more alive in your life? In my mind, I thought like, okay, so Jesus is the, is the pathway to reconciliation with God. What about the Old Testament? They didn't have Jesus. I always think about the logic of it. Like, okay, Jesus brings peace, but there was lots of people before Jesus came. The Old Testament has the hall of faith, like Abraham, Rahab, Isaac, Jacob. So Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, and it tells us that it was their faith in God including his future plans that enabled their relationship with him. They left their homeland just on what God told them to do. This was the kind of faith that established peace and relationship with God. So I think it was much more uh, seldom in the Old Testament and harder to come by as far as how it is for us after Christ having made his sacrifice. It enabled relationship with him, which their faith enabled relationship with God. And it's the same for us. Having faith in the atoning work of Christ enables our relationship with God. So we can apply the purpose of peace by trusting in Christ alone as our atonement to reconcile us with holy God. And we can be saved by faith through grace. That's the Ephesians 2 verse. These are just really foundational. I hope they're not too basic, but um, we can talk more how they apply. So then we go to the question. If you meet someone in the street who hasn't grown up in church, has no idea of the gospel, they might say, why couldn't God just cut us some slack and let everyone into heaven to be with him? Like, why do some people not get to go to heaven? Why do we need Jesus? This is the field of apologetics, by the way, just being able to give a response to questions of faith. So this goes into the nature of who God is, who he is, and who we are. And I just break down the question, why couldn't God cut us some slack? <laughs> so God is in the picture, and we are in the picture. We look at who God is. He's outside our common mode of thinking. Full nature of God and who he is could be beyond comprehension in some ways. He's utterly perfect and holy. He's perfectly just. And he's also outside time. He's an eternal being. He's existed from Alpha and Omega. He's the Alpha and Omega. I don't think we, we were all born in the context of time on earth. So the context and the concept of an eternal being is kind of mind-blowing. Other aspects of God are that he's perfectly holy, and so then our relationship with him is broken because we are not perfectly holy. Uh, I hope none of you think you're perfectly holy. <laughs> you need an attitude check if you do. Um, <laughs> So our relationship was broken because sin entered the world. You know, the creation account, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. They were tempted by Satan, and then they uh, succumbed to the temptation, and then there was a separation. They were kicked out of Eden, and the relationship between God and humans was, was severed. And we are descendants of Adam and Eve, and so there is that sin imputed down upon us for all generations. That also sounds maybe unfair to somebody who's never heard the gospel. They'd be like, well, I don't believe that. I think we don't have sin, or I think people are good. I have a proof for that. First proof is the word of God, like scripture. Uh, you study history, there's a lot of validity, veracity to authenticity, but also look at babies. Proof, as far as the way I think, babies 
they're good, they're happy and joyful, and we can learn a lot from them, but also they have a bad side. Like, they're not perfect. They're not perfectly holy like God. There's a study with broccoli and goldfish, I think up to the age, like 14 months. Babies have no concept of empathy. They'll always take the goldfish because they like it. I think they said, for the first thing you pick, it will be given to the person in front of you. But they always pick the goldfish because they wanted the goldfish. Even though they pick it, it's going to go to the other person and they get the broccoli. So that was a test on empathy. But later on, they do have empathy. So don't want to pick on babies. Just look at (laughs) humans in general throughout your life. Nobody taught you to be selfish. Nobody taught you to do things that are apart from the nature of God. So that's my point in that we all have sin and therefore we need reconciliation. And Romans 3.23 sums it up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apart from that, we have times when we behave sinfully and we need peace to heal our relationship. It's unlike any peace because the relationship between God and humans is unlike any relationship in the world because of who God is. A good summary for what God did for us is also in Romans chapter 5, 6 to 11. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more will we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we now have received reconciliation. As I have been doing, I think Paul did. He was just hammering in this concept of reconciliation. So the conclusion is very simple, but complex at the same time. Christ's birth, which we commemorate on Christmas Day, his life, death, and resurrection shifted the eternal reality for all humankind. We think of innovators in our culture today. We think of the buzzword um, disruptors or game changers, where they find some way to hack the way taxi systems work, and they have Uber, or hack the way information is presented, and now we have smartphones. Jesus was an innovator and a game changer in how he Um, made a way for us to be reconciled with a perfect, eternal, holy being beyond anything we could ever achieve. So just wanted to say, by the way, we have just covered the gospel, so you're all ready to be evangelists. So go forth and be evangelists. So next week, uh, we'll talk more about this as Jesus as peace and the power of peace. And let me just close us in prayer. Lord God, thank you for being a God who desires a relationship with us. Uh, We fell away from you, yet you did not abandon us. You chose to make a way so that we could be one with you again, so that we could experience Irene, shalom, completeness. And we pray that this truth will um, resound deeply in who we are, our very being, Uh, may it consume our thoughts so that we can always have peace, so that we may be people of peace, not tossed about like the waves. Um, Let us be steadfast. And um, and we thank you and praise you.
Uh, We pray for the people in the dark that don't know you. We pray for us to be lights and to be evangelists, to share this gospel of peace um, so that they can have peace and so that you can be glorified in their lives. Amen. All right. Um, So now is the time for communion. Uh, As we sang uh, the song that Joe shared about the Redeemer, Christ is our Redeemer. Um, And it required a sacrifice. He had to break his body. He had to shed his blood. So Susanna and Don have communion elements for us to share. So let's take a moment to get those. Give you some time to open them. (laughs) There's a whole nother study we could talk about as far as why Jesus had to shed blood Um, That also is covered in Hebrews, that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. That sounds crazy for today, but there is a lot of history behind it. So let's take part in that history um, and commemorate Christ's body broken for us. In the same way, he shared with the disciples that he poured out his blood so that we could be washed clean, reconciled. Let's take the cup. Dear God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for this time we can take every week to look at what physically Christ did for us and um, let it not become a ritual. Let it just be a, a time that we can take to remember what you did and look at where we are who you are, what it all means, and how we can continually grow as people who follow you. Amen.